I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Alan Gratz is the number one New York Times best-selling author of 17 novels for young readers, including Ground Zero, Refugee, Allies, Grenade, Prisoner B3087, Project 1065, and Ban This Book. A Knoxville, Tennessee native, Alan is now a full-time writer living in Asheville, North Carolina with his wife and daughter. I had so much fun talking to Alan that I've divided our conversation into two episodes. So here's the first one. Hi, Alan. Thanks for being here today. Hey, Julie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to talk to you. I just finished uh, Ban This Book this week, which was my original reason for reaching out to you. But I've also read many of your other titles. And I just, I want to jump right in with you because I am such a fan of your books. I mean, in the library, we check them out all the time. But I revisited Refugee before our conversation. And you put the history in historical fiction. I'm so impressed. Have you always been interested in history? Because I know you were in, you studied English, correct? Yeah, uh, so I, I, I went to school to study creative writing. Yeah. Uh, I knew from when I was a kid that I wanted to grow up and be a writer. So I went to the University of Tennessee and I studied creative writing. I took like every kind of creative writing class I could get my hands on, playwriting, poetry writing, screenwriting, novel writing, you know, anything anything that was offered, I took it. I took a lot of lit classes as well, read a lot of di- different literature from uh, different folks around the world, trying to just kind of get a handle on that. But I really kind of... I was really lucky that I knew what I wanted to do from a young age and was able to focus all of my my efforts in college on that. So then I graduated, did a lot of other jobs that had to do with writing and had to do with books while I tried to figure out what I was going to do with creative mm-hmm. writing. Like I, I knew I wanted to be a storyteller, let's just say in general, but I didn't know if that meant like movies okay. or books or TV, or comic books, or plays. I I love all that stuff, right? And I've done, tried to do a little bit of all those things. But I was throwing different stuff at the wall, trying to see what would stick. I was writing plays for my community theater. I was writing comic book scripts and going to comic book conventions and trying to sell those and sending TV stuff to Hollywood, even though I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is not the way you get, you break into Hollywood. Uh, And I also tried to write books, I was trying to write books. So after a while, I put all that other stuff away and I really started to focus on writing books for 
our kids. Mm-hmm. My wife was the book and toy buyer at a group of independent bookstores. And uh, she was, she, so she, she ran the kids department okay. and she would bringing home all these amazing books. And this was about the time that golden compass had come out and speak by Laura Sanderson had just come out and she was bringing these home and she's like, read this, read this. These are amazing. These are great. These, you got to read these. Yeah. And I read them and I loved them. And I was like, I want to be a part of whatever this is. Like, I want to be in what, you know, what, what's going on here. So I put all the other things aside. None of them had really stuck anyway. So Perfect. I put all the other things aside and I said, I'm going to focus on writing books for kids. And I wrote two books, I wrote one book, finished it, sent it out, started getting rejection letters, started writing the next book, finished it, sent it out, started getting rejection letters. And neither of those had been historical fiction. Okay. Uh, one of them was a contemporary fantasy. The other one was just a contemporary sort of rom-com, YA kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And neither of those have ever gotten bought or published. But then I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And, and I was getting like good rejection letters. There is such a thing where they're saying like, you're close, keep working on it. Or we just bought something like this. Send us your next book, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I was, I was, getting good encouragement from publishers and, and, and knew I was going down the right path. And I was actually in a bookstore and I was going through the travel section because I, I, I was dreaming of all the different places I wanted to visit in the world. And I found uh, a book about Japan and I, and I was fascinated with Japan. I hadn't been there at the time. I'm flipping through this guidebook to Japan and there's a picture in there of a guy throwing out uh, first pitch at a 1915 National High School baseball tournament in Japan. Okay. And he was dressed like in a kimono and had sandals and like gaita and and he had like a big floppy hat. And I was like, wait, I knew that Japan was crazy for baseball. Yes. I was enough of a Japanese fan and a baseball fan to know that. But I didn't realize they had it that early. Yeah. And I was like, like, that's weird to me. And so I went to the library. I checked out a book about Japanese baseball. I found out that like the samurai era ended about the same time that the baseball era began. They overlapped just a little bit. So there was a time with people running around with baseball bats and samurai swords at the same time. And wow. I was like, I, I got to write about that, right? That's what that was my reaction. Like, wow. And so I was like, I got to write a book about this, but I'd never written historical fiction. Now I'd read a lot, okay, but I'd never written any. Partially because I was kind of a lazy writer. And what I, what, I, what I mean is, like, I would think about the story and dream it up, but I didn't want to put too much work into, like, the organization of the story, right? You know, I just <laughs> wanted to sit and write it. And, right. You know, that, that's the fun part. But sure. I, and I was like, if I write this, like, if, like if I jump into this and try this, I'm going to have to do a ton of research and figure out a way to keep track of those notes. Totally. And then once I've taken all those notes, how do I turn that into a story, right? Like, how do you turn like a binder's worth of typed up notes about a time period into a compelling story? Right. But the, and so at first I put it away. I was like, no, not me. <laughs> this sounds like too I, much work. Yeah, it's too much work, right? And so, but yeah. the, the more I thought about it, the more the story kind of kept coming back to me and saying, this is a really great hook. It's a great idea. You yeah. have a lot of fun doing the reading and the writing. And so I jumped in. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just started doing the research. And of course, I hadn't sold this book. I hadn't sold any book. I wasn't published yet. And so I had all the time in the world. I mean, I did and I didn't. You know, I didn't want to take 10 years on this book, but nobody was like, chop, chop, turn it in, right? Yes. So I I did a ton of research. I took a lot of notes and started to come up with a story. And I realized, oh, I could maybe plot out my story, you know, like outline it. And then once I've outlined it, I could move my notes into my outline and know what I needed and where I needed it. And I sort of learned how to write historical fiction 
by doing it. By doing and, it? Wow. And that, was, that became my very first published book. It's called Samurai Shortstop. And that was the first book that I sold and it got my foot in the door. And I thought, man, uh, maybe I should do whatever I did again. You know, like that, yes. that was the thing that got me in, you know, got me into publishing, got me, got me published. And I said, maybe I ought to, you know, not just sit down and write a book by the seat of my pants next time. Maybe I should actually think about it the way I did here. And it was a real breakthrough for me as a professional writer, both Absolutely. in terms of like it, I became a professional writer literally, but it also was a huge breakthrough for me as a, in, in terms of my craft. Yes. And I now outline all of my books. I put them up on little note cards and, and put them up on a board in my office. And and I even whether it's historical or not, I outline everything just to kind of keep a track of the characters and the themes I'm working with. And then if it is historical, which I've done a lot, then it, it gives me a way to get a handle on what I need to know and where that information needs to go. I love reading historical fiction and I'm super stunned you know, decades after graduating from college that I, it's now my favorite thing to write. If you'd gone, if you went, could go back in time and ask you know, like college age, Alan, would you, you know, what do you be known for? You know, like, or if you told me sure. you'll be known for writing historical fiction, I would have laughed in your face. I mean, I, <laughs> I would have said, no way. It's too much work. It's too much work, but I figured it out. And now yeah. it's, I, I totally love doing it. Oh, well, it shows because you use the word, you, your craft is evident and your books are so well done. How did you decide on middle grade or how did you decide on that segment? Sure. Yeah. I, I had been interested. Uh, well, when I was reading all that stuff, I was reading some YA, I was reading some middle grade. Right. And I got to tell you, I'm one of those rare ducks that actually had a good time in middle grade in middle school. I, I know a lot of people did not do. How about you? Uh, you know, I can't say that I had the best time, <laughs> but I think going through it again with my boys, I'm realizing yeah. they actually, I mean, of course there's awkwardness and all the things, Sure, but it's also kind of a fun time. And I've thought even yeah. I could see myself working in a middle school because middle schoolers are, they can be really delightful. So yeah. I, I I loved middle school when I was a middle schooler. I but I was totally oblivious. I mean, I was <laughs> I was the kid who like didn't comb his hair and wore crazy clothes to school and was more worried about what my D and D character was going to be on the weekend than you know than than girls and or anything of like course. that at the moment. So I was I was totally oblivious. I uh, and and I think that's part of the reason. As soon as I hit high school and I, uh, and, and it all kind of kind of came crashing in on me like peer pressure and all that stuff. I was like, oh man, I've been such a dork. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I like, didn't know. Who didn't I didn't. I had this? no idea that self-awareness was kind of crushing. <laughs> you mean people don't wear yellow shirts with purple pants to school? I don't understand this. So uh, I, no, I, I, I was one of those people who, who really kind of loved middle school. Yeah. And I, I also really enjoy middle grade in terms of, of reading even more than YA because Philip Pullman, whom I've already brought up once, famously said that, that kids' books are the last bastion of plot. And I love that expression. Yes. I, 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 would, I, would, I would humbly disagree. I still I read adult mysteries and that sort of thing, and I love those. I mean, there, there are still a lot of books written for adults that have meaty plots to them. But, but a lot of what we take to be adult literature like you know like, like um, literary novels, yes, uh, are, are not exactly the most compelling reads. Let's just let's just be kind about it. Yes, and especially because some of them I think tend to be more character driven. Exactly. And 
you know, there's a lot more insight and things like that, but you're right. It, it, it's a totally different read. So I can see what he's saying. Right. And, and, and it's, and it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's no. just a different way of writing and, and it, and it appeals to a different maturity level. And, and, and what I love is that middle schoolers, they, they really demand a lot from a book. They demand action. They demand great characters, just like the literary novels, but they demand action. Like from page one, they want to know where the story is going. They maybe like some laughs along the way. They yeah. want some serious stuff. They want it to kind of be like they themselves are. Middle schoolers are incredible because one minute they can be outside horsing around on the playground and making jokes. And the next minute they can be really super serious about something and figuring it out. Like they have these switches inside them that they just flip constantly. And one minute they're serious and the next minute they're goofballs. And so true. I love that. And I, and I still feel that way inside. I, I feel like I kind of never left middle school in some ways. And so like that's, the middle grade really appeals to me in a way that 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 adult doesn't and that YA doesn't and that even picture books don't. Like mm-hmm. I love all of those different audiences and I and I've read books in those and I've tried to write all of those. But where I really found my home was middle grade. So my first book, Samurai Shortstop, was kind of a tween book, let's call it. Okay. It had teen characters, but because they existed in 1890s Tokyo they really weren't as worldly and savvy as we know teenagers today, right? So like a 16-year-old in the 1890s was more like a 13-year-old today, you know, or or something like that. They didn't have a cell phone. Exactly. Um, So they had raging hormones like any 16-year-old, but they they – but they maybe didn't see the world as in in, in such an adult way as that we – that high schoolers do now. Yes. So that one was kind of tween. Okay. And then my next two were totally YA – and I enjoyed those, but then I wrote as my fourth book, a book called The Brooklyn Nine, and it was squarely middle grade. It was the first like full-on middle grade book that I had written, and I just had a blast. I loved the characters. I loved the world. I loved that I didn't have to worry about if they had a crush on somebody, you know, love yes. triangles. Yes. I could just get on with the story, and, and, and that just is what appeals to me, and there are totally people who who love that kind of stuff, and that's why they write it, and that's why they read it, but for me, I was like, no, I just want to get on with like these kids have concerns, they have real, real life stuff that they're dealing with, but I also just want to get to the action and get on with the story. So that book, Brooklyn Nine, really cemented for me that I wanted to be in middle grade and I've kind of never looked back. Well, it dovetails perfectly for what you're saying, which is middle schoolers do have, I mean, they're ruthless readers, right? Like yes. if you don't have them hooked, then too bad, they're done. So yeah. that is kind of a a freeing thing, but also what you're saying too is I think the incorporation of getting more of your research in there too, because it is so plot driven. I see that in yours where there's more opportunities to put that in, less maybe reflection necessarily. And I like that because it does, the story moves. I mean, right. when I, I listened to Refugee and I loved it. I was the audiobook so is so invested. great. I can say that because oh. I didn't have anything to do with it. They did an amazing job with the audiobook. It's incredible. And Ban This Book was also great in audio because the narrator the reader for, for that, that is she's amazing yes. too. Yeah. She's tremendous. She read or I think she just recently. I think it's Bonnie Turpin. She's yes. really famous for a lot of oh, it was a huge get for us to get her to read it. She's read a bunch of stuff, is super famous for reading a bunch of stuff. Yes, she recently read one Black Girls Must Die Exhausted. And when her voice popped up in yours, <laughs> right. I thought, I know her. Like, so wait she's, a minute. Yeah, she's yeah. fantastic. But 
All that to say, the way that you move things along is perfectly suited. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, also, you do not pull any punches in terms of the books are intense. And I really appreciate that about them. They can be very real and raw and necessarily so because the subject matter is such. Have you ever had issues with people saying that it's too much for middle grade? Yeah, for okay. sure. Uh, there there are a lot of people, you know, I, I tend to try not to read the reviews on Amazon or Goodreads because uh, that way lies madness. But <laughs> yes. but the some of my some of my harshest critiques are from people who are like, oh, it's too much for kids. Like we don't, mm. I don't want my kid reading this and, and thinking about this or dealing with this. And we're seeing this a lot today with people who are, who are saying like, we need to, like, there's always been this, this feeling that we need to protect kids yes. from, from, from fiction, from stories or from the world, from the outside world. And, right. and I feel like it's, it's grown stronger recently. It, it waxes and wanes, Yes, but it's always there. And, and I get it. Look, when my daughter was very little, the, I didn't want her reading Hunger Games until she was old enough to deal with some of the hard, like there, there's like murders of children in them, those books. And I yes. was like, just wait, just wait. You'll, <laughs> you, wait until this won't give you nightmares, you know, yes. that kind of thing. So I totally get that. I, I, I totally get finding the right age for a kid to read something. And not every kid is the same at the same age, right? Yes. So not every eight or nine-year-old is the same as every other eight or nine-year-old. No. So it's always a question of knowing the kid and knowing what they can handle. And I think that kids are amazing self-editors, self-censors. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I would run into kids who'd read Twilight when they were in middle school, when they were much younger. Of course. And I'm like, you you read Twilight? Did you like, <laughs> what did you think of this part? And they're like, what? I don't remember that. And like, I think a lot of times they will find the parts of the story that that resonate with them, that appeal to them and focus on those parts of the story and either miss or, or gloss over a lot of the other parts of the stories. Kids are really a lot savvier readers than we give them credit for, in my opinion, most of the time. And so I wanted to make sure that I was writing books that were, that told things the way they were. So my very first gig with Scholastic was, um, they put me together with uh, Jack Gruner, who had survived 10 different Nazi concentration camps during World War II. Lived to tell the story and came to Scholastic and said, I wanted, I wanted to tell my story. Do you want to do a book about it? They're like, oh my gosh, yes, this is incredible. Yeah. But you're not a writer. Can we put you with a writer to work with you? He said, sure. So I start working with Jack and I read his story and it's incredible. I, I don't know if you've read Prisoner, but it's just astounding stuff. Yes. And it's hard stuff. It's, yes. it's the Holocaust, right? It's not easy. It's really hard. And I went back before I'd even said yes to the project. And I went back to the editor and I said, okay, I'm, I would love to write this, but I have to tell you right now that if you hire me to write this, I am not going to pull any punches with this. I have to tell exactly what happened. And I said, I will, I will not go into the gory details of it. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's, 
that's the concession that I make for middle grade is that I, but I said, if he, if he knows that this kid had medical experimentation happen to him, I'm going to say that. Yes. Because we need to say that we need to understand it. We need to know what happened. So it will never happen again. And so I said, I'm going to say it. I'm not going to show it. I'm not going to go into detail about it, but I'm going to tell you that it happened because that's the truth and we need the truth to be out there. So she was like, absolutely. They were all in. And a lot of people have come back to me and like, how can you do the Holocaust for young middle grade? And I'm like, listen, you got to do it. And, and, and here's how you do it. You tell the truth, you show them what happened, but you don't go into the goriest of details, right? Yes. That, that leaves, that's where books are different from TV shows and movies, right? Because when we're watching a TV show or a movie and something happens, you got to see every bit of it. Yes. You have to see all of it because you're, it's just the way it's presented. Right. In a book, I can tell you that something is happening, but I don't have to give you every little detail of it. And that allows the kids who are less mature mm-hmm. to read it and understand, but not maybe be haunted by it. And it allows the kids who are more mature to read it and understand and fill in the blanks with what they know from their worldly experience. And so that's the angle I have ever since, well, even before Prisoner, but that's the angle I've always taken on, on writing about tough topics for kids. And I get this, this, this feeling that parents and, 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 and some educators have to, to protect kids and, and not want them to see the hard stuff. I get it. But listen, the, the days of, the, of, of middle schoolers only worrying about what happens in the classroom and in their neighborhood or in their church uh, you know, in their smaller home situation, those days are gone. Yes. Like the, the world is coming at these kids faster and, and heavier than it ever has before. They're going through active shooter drills in kindergarten, I know. right? They, they, they have refugees and immigrants as classmates. Yes. We want to ignore that, those stories. We want to know why they're here and, 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 and help them. They hear racist and intolerant stuff from politicians on the news. They're marching in Black Lives Matter protests in middle school. They are a part of the world. They are out there as active members and they are they are making decisions right now, like in middle school, about the, the they're, they're they're forming their opinions about the world. Yes. And 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 they're getting information from their from their parents, from their teachers, from from their church if if they're religious, and they're also getting it from books. And I want to be there with a book to say, here's what I think. Mm-hmm. And here's here's what's happened in the past. And maybe you decide if you want to see that continue or do you want to see it stop? So that's kind of the, the feeling that I've always had is that we shouldn't sugarcoat things for kids. And I think that's one of the reasons my books have been so popular, to be honest. Yes. You express that so well. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. And I couldn't agree more because it is true that that natural protective instinct is there, but our children are in the world. And and I get it. I I think books are a really amazingly safe place to be the first place that you encounter these hard things. Right. And I would rather, I would rather my daughter have read about drug use in a book to understand the consequences of it first, rather than like running into it as a teenager for the first time and then deciding what in the moment with peer pressure and everything else that's going on, how she wants to respond to that or how she, you know, what her thoughts are about that. So I think it's super important for kids to be, 
developing opinions about things that they haven't gone through and hopefully never will. Yes. But just in case, just in case. <laughs> just in case. And you're exactly right, though, that because information, especially at that age, is just information, right? That's right. We, we come to it as adults with a huge loaded perspective. And Absolutely. so we're inserting that as opposed to just this is something that happened. This is something that does happen. Then they can incorporate it. And you're exactly right when there's not pressure or other influences. Right. And it's so funny that you bring up about all the other influences that we have as adults. So I have to remember when I'm writing middle grade that a lot of times my readers haven't, they don't know as much as we do as adults. And so like, I always have to joke, I write a lot about World War II, as you, as you know, yes. and I have to, I joke that every time I introduce the name Adolf Hitler, I mm -hmm. have to kind of explain who he is because this might be the first time that a kid has ever run into that name. Now, hopefully you know, they've been through history classes and they've learned it, but I get kids who read my books like in second and third grade sometimes. That's awfully young, sure. but they still pick them up and it's not who I, it's not the target age, but it's yes. still within the range of, uh, of certainly for kids who could read my books. And that may be the first time they've run into this. And I, I kind of joke that every time I introduce something like that, I have to explain it all over again. And it reminds me every time that my readers don't come in with all of that, I don't want to say baggage, because like you said, it's knowledge. It's in a way it's like baggage, especially when it's all of the weight of the opinions of different things on, yes. on, on, on those subjects. But they don't come in with all of those experiences of running into it and hearing other people's opinions about things. Sometimes it's my book is the very first time they've run into an issue, a name, a place, a time. And I have to I have to be as honest and and truthful about that time as possible so that, you know, because it, it's their first experience with it. Yeah, you carry that responsibility. I understand it's a lot. that. <laughs> it is. I'm, it is. I'm yeah. thinking as you were talking too. You know, I watched The Sound of Music a million times when I was younger. And then sure. there was an age when I watched it and I thought, oh, they were Nazis. Oh, they're running from the Nazis. <laughs> right. Oh, the, the whole reason that the Von Trapps have to leave is because they want him to be in the in their Navy and he, yes. he refuses. Like, and that's what I'm talking about, too, yes. at the beginning when I said, like, as kids, we focus in on the things we might focus in on the you know, the, the marionette show or, you know, the, totally. the, the, the kids all singing and, you know, and, and doing the different things with Maria. And, and what we're missing is maybe that larger context of why, what the politics are behind yes. this. And the adults will see that, but the kids won't. And I, and I think that's when I, that's when I, that's a great example of what I'm talking about when I say that kids self edit yes. or, or maybe just selectively choose the parts of a story that they're most interested in. Absolutely. Yeah. What yeah. makes sense to them, they naturally incorporate that and then have that right. sort of ability to leave. And later rest. on, they may come to the context of something. And, and I hope that like, as kids read my books, that as they get older, they'll be like, oh, oh, wow. I see something else he was trying to do there too. Right. Yes. I hope that there's more in there that resonates with them even as they get older. Well, I think there is because your books definitely have that broad appeal. I mean, like I said, I was invested. And I love how they kind of lead into learning about more things. And also, I do want to say your books also have the right amount of lightness and perspective to them so that they never feel too 
heavy-handed. And you have a great sense of humor. And I loved (laughs) my favorite on your website, putting fictional kids in danger since 2006. That made me laugh out loud because I was like, they really are in danger. Things are not I even put that on my business cards that I hand out. (laughs) It's funny that that actually came from... So at the beginning of my career, I wrote a bunch of different stuff. I I wrote historical fiction. I wrote murder mysteries. I wrote fantasy novels. I wrote science fiction. I wrote contemporary stuff. And, and, and there was a certain point where I was like, who am I as a writer? Like what, okay. if you looked at, at, at all the books I've written, what connects them? You know, because sure. at a certain point, I'm like, do I have an identity as a writer? Like at first, you're just happy to get your foot in the door. You get that first book out there. Yeah. And then you're like, well, what can I do for a second book? Because there's immense pressure on you now. It's like the second book syndrome is, is a real thing. And like, so getting over the hump and getting that second book out is a big deal. And then like at first I was just kind of like, oh, I'm interested in that. And I'm interested in that. And I'm interested in that. And yeah. I didn't have any kind of real focus. Mm-hmm. But luckily I was successful enough. I wasn't like going gangbusters from the start, but I was successful enough that my publisher let me have the room to explore that and said, oh yeah, that sounds good. You do that. Okay. But what I ended up with was sort of like, I'd go to a, I'd go to a book festival and I had a table full of books and I might have one book that appeals to this kid and another book that appeals to that kid. But, but my books weren't always like, they didn't always have crossover audiences. Sometimes one kid would love everything at the table, but sometimes it was like, oh, I don't like baseball. And I'm like, oh yeah, then you want this one, you know? And, and got it. So it was like, who am I as a writer? What's my focus? And the funny thing I, it was, I was talking, I was talking about this with my wife one day and I was like, what, what kind of like connects all of my books? And I'm like, well, I often beat up my main characters. <laughs> like in almost every book that I'd written, my, my main character gets beat up. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, that's true. And I'm like, I, I don't mean to be so mean to my characters, <laughs> but you know, the world can be a tough place sometimes. And so I, I began to joke that that I was, you know, my my job was putting fictional kids in danger, and and that became sort of a tagline on the website. It really is perfect, and it's so true. I'm picturing you also during that time wandering in a meadow somewhere, just saying, "Who am I?" I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did use I did used to live uh, pretty out in the country and would go for walks in the woods, and uh, you know, sometimes if a if a book didn't sell, it wasn't "Who am I?" It'd be like, "What am I doing?" What am I doing uh, with but, my uh, life? Yeah. Well, how did I, oh. where did I go wrong? Because it's too late to become a computer programmer. <laughs> no, it, it's, uh, it, 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 it helped to kind of think about what I was doing and, yes. and what I wanted to do, but really it's later on with the scholastic books. I've, I guess I've written about, I think seven books now with scholastic starting with prisoner. Right. And those have really started to have a real focus for me. Like, a they, the, I've, I've been able to sort of crystallize that vision and really, for me, it wasn't until I listened to a podcast with Jordan Peele, the guy who oh. wrote Get Out yes. and directed it. And he's an amazing guy and, and very funny, but a great writer of uh, serious stuff as well, like Get Out. Mm-hmm. And he described that movie as a social thriller. Interesting. And that's, yeah, that's that when it what... sort of clicked for mm-hmm. me. I was like, okay. Now, it doesn't apply to all of my books, but for the books I've been writing recently, when I heard that podcast was Scholastic, it kind of clicked and I was like, okay, the thriller part, I've always wanted to have down. It's what you and I talked about, especially sure. with middle grade, a book, a compelling read that a, that a middle grade reader doesn't want to put down. Yes. Right? That's number one, yes. page turner. Mm-hmm. Number two, though, is that what I realized was that kids didn't just want compelling characters and, and, and great plots. 
like they love that stuff and 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 they will read a book for that but one of the things i thought was really drawing them to my books in particular was that i had a social justice angle to a lot of the books yes maybe just a minor a minor thing sometimes it was the whole story like refugee sometimes Absolutely. like in code of honor the kid is persian american his mom was born in iran he was born in the united states and he's dealing with the prejudice that middle eastern americans dealt with post 9/11 that's yes. not what the whole story is about, but it's in there, right? Mm-hmm. And so I began to realize that that I needed both of those elements in my books to sort of be, to have some consistency, that, that they needed to be page turners, but they also needed to have a social element to them too. And those are two things that I really focus on every time I go into a new project now. How is this compelling? How am I going to keep you reading? And what am I trying to say about the world that kids might have questions about and and are forming opinions about right now. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at juliewritesWords, or you can go to my website, juliewritesWords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book.